Hello, everyone. This is Dwayne Esser, and I am with We Love Arabian Horse Foundation. And tonight I have the pleasure to talk to Martha Ratner. Hello, Martha. How are you? I'm just fine, Dwayne. How are you? I'm great. Martha, I know you're busy trying to get everything together and leave for Tulsa, but I thought I might get a chance to talk to you briefly um, and, and just find out a little bit about yourself. But to start the, our interview off, I would like to know, what is it about the Arabian horse, and what is it that makes you so passionate about the horse itself? Well, honestly, I was, as you know, born in Miami, Florida, and my mother was into horses from a very young age, and she was in the American childbread industry, and then she became very close friends with Diane Dodge, who is Roxanne Hart of Rohara Arabian's cousin. And Diane was deeply into the Arabian horse and, in fact, introduced a lot of people in South Florida to the Arabian horse. And she had so many that when she took them all, she had to have friends help her show them. And that's how my mom got started. And because I was around she and Diane and then eventually Roxanne, Roxanne came after uh this and this friendship had been going on quite a while, and Roxanne was a, quite a bit younger, and she got brought into it probably about ten years later. And there was also Liz Langford, and it's kind of they were kind of like the three. It was Liz, my mom, and Diane, and they were so much fun, and it was so much fun being with them. And everybody was so into the horses and showing the horses, and that's what I guess started the started the passion and then meeting people like that all through the years i think it's um i think the people mirror the horse a lot with the passion and the energy and the good feeling that they give so i would i would say it's 50 50 horse and people interesting martha you have in your career shown several breeds to national level with championship honors what are the highlights or some of the highlights of those, and what makes the Arabian horse your first choice? Well, I can t- I'll, I'll tell you first a little bit, so a few highlights. Um, I'm showing American Saddlebreds. That's what I started riding as a child when I took lessons I rode in a saddlebred barn. And my mom believed that if you were going to do something, you learn from the very best people. So I rode with one of the leading instructors in the nation in Miami when I was a young girl. And he, in fact, taught me how to ride side saddle as well as saddle seat. So that style of riding and that style of horse was something I was very familiar with. And then all through my career, I guess I've kept up with the saddlebred, still had a passion for the saddlebred. So... Later on, when I moved to Kentucky and established myself with my own business, I came with the idea that I wanted to learn more about training them from the ground, not just riding them and showing them. And I wanted to learn about training them from the ground, how to gait a horse, how to do a fine harness horse. And so I learned those things, and we I've shown county fairs. I've shown Lexington, Louisville, and I guess one of the highlights – um, with the American Saddlebred was I had a really nice three-gated mare that I started. She came to me right out of the field and did all the work on her and showed her and was third at Louisville at Freedom Hall at the World Championships, and I had the crowd. And it was, I never really, I don't think, experienced too many things like that kind of crowd. 
and knowing that as I went and it built by the lineup that it was for me and then it was deafening, you know, when they announced my number and that was that was really something. And I love that. Um had a gated horse that um I showed there and you know, I kinda had a goal to do a really nice harness mare and Jerry Reeder was generous and let me train a harness mare that he bought from me for a brood mare. And he let me show her and campaign her for a year before he bred her. And I was able to do that. So kind of have shown the different disciplines within the saddle bread. And I guess the highlight of the world championships was with the passion with the saddle breads, along came passion with hackneys. And I got that, I think, from being at a lot of shows where they were all breed when I was in the Southwest and meeting John Shea, who was a high, very high end, high profile hackney trainer from Louisiana, and he was always so generous with his knowledge, and he loved that I loved his ponies, and I'd get up in the mornings and watch him long line all the ponies, and I thought, you know, I've got to learn how to do that. I've got to have some of these, and so I had five, six hackneys during that time frame, and I did it for about 10 years, and I I got to where I was almost 50% saddlebred hackney versus 50, you know, the other 50% was Arabian's. And I had a really, really good pony that Dr. Ron bred named Pocket Money, and he was reserve world champion road pony at Louisville and wow. world championships. And that was so impressive. I was – and it, he was kind of – I kind of got him in an interesting way. He was given up on by some really respectable Hackney people, and I was trying to get my Hackney judges card at the time. And so I had a chance to – buy pocket as a project for myself <clears throat> and excuse me and uh he was talented but he was not going to be supposedly an open pony but was not going to be one that could be trained shown exhibited and go to the amateur or juvenile ranks so they thought so i got him and i spent the whole winter at, that i got him teaching him to walk in the long lines and track straight. So he learned to do this amazing flat walk and relax. And then as I started to put him together to start off the show season, he was a fabulous road pony, and he was a very safe road pony. You know, when you said, whoa, he stopped, and when you said walk, he walked. And I was able to put my 13-year-old juvenile that had a saddlebred with me in the cart and have her show him by the end of the first season and so when some of these Hackney people noticed that and they noticed me, I, my judge's card was approved. I was denied on the first round because Hackney, unlike any of the other breeds, you get a large R right away with the USEF. You have to have 100% approval of every Hackney member on their Hackney committee. So going into that, I mean, it's, it's like getting uh, into a fraternity that's uh, – it's a very exclusive club, and so because of that pony, I was able to get that judge's card, and I guess kind of one of the things that, because I love the ponies, I love their ability, I love their motion, I love how correct they are, and I love that when they're judged in hand, their structure matches their job. Yes. <laughs> and then I, I did show some Morgans, but I was a juvenile, one of I was still under 18, and one of my summer jobs, one of my first jobs in the horse industry was with Morgans, and I, I was able to show some really good Morgans, and I, and I enjoyed that, and I, you know, some of the people were the same, because um, at that time, this would have been the 
early 70s, you know, I think this was 1974, a lot of people showed Morgans and Arabs, had Arab cards and Morgan cards. Mm-hmm. And, and so it wasn't, wasn't the same as the Arabians. And all along, it was a learning thing for me. I, I wanted to learn things, but then I would bring them back into the Arabians. And I maybe, in thinking back on it, spent a little, little too much time and energy away from the Arabians. And when I felt that flipping, I thought, you know, I'm going to have to make a choice. And I had gotten some horses in training for some great people that had talents that were outside the saddle type. So I was like, you know, finding myself, wow, I'm going to have to to, to learn and, and get a new skill set here if I'm going to make these horses be as good as they can be for these really awesome owners. And you know, started riding more Huntsy, riding over fences, doing some dressage. And then I, as, it, as it evolved, I had to make a choice. And also in my facilities and in learning some of the new disciplines, and the, well, they weren't new disciplines, but in getting into the minutia of new disciplines, I learned that turning horses out was part of that. And, you know, in all of my early training years and my early jobs, we didn't turn anything out. So it was a little it was a little horrifying at first, but then as I saw what that was like and went and got more educated along those lines, the facilities where I was training were suited to that and then my husband and I bought the farm that we've been at for five, getting ready to be six years, certainly is more suitable for that. So I evolved but the Arabian and the versatility of the Arabian is why I, I came back and the people. Again, the people. I missed my people. And I don't, I don't think – it's not that I have not got friends in the other breeds, not that I don't know people with the other breeds, and I think a lot of them, but I don't think of them as family. And because I was so young when I was introduced to Arabians with Diane and my mom and Liz, that – I never got over that initial thing that 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 this breed gave to me and the people that came with it, they raised me. They were my family. Interesting. And they had that passion. You know, Liz and Diane and Roxanne and then the people once we when we left Florida and came north and lived in Cincinnati and that's where I went to high school and graduated from high school. And I spent this, the time in Ohio when Ohio was the place. You know, MK was still in Ohio. T.P. Yep. Long was big in Ohio. And the Buckeye had 2,000 entries. And so, you know, my life revolved around the Buckeye. You know, that was the thing, you know. It just, mm-hmm. you miss Buckeye, you, there's something wrong with you. you That's know? right. It was amazing times. Amazing yeah. times. And so, I, again, it's those people and that that living for those moments. And the moments were only because of the people and then the horses that came with them. And, you know, um, I was six years old, I guess, six or seven, and Springfield, Illinois had the national classes. So, you know, my mom and Diane, we were going to the nationals and uh, sitting up there in that coliseum where we show today. I saw Carolyn Gardner make a victory pass, and I told them. I said, I'm I'm this little kid, all right, (laughs) and I'm telling that's what I'm going to do. And they're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and that was it. And that was it. I can take you to the seat exactly where it is since the seats are the same, you know. Yeah. And every time I walk in that building, I see her. 
And I did not meet her and get to know her until I was probably 37 years old. And living back in Kentucky and in the Midwest, I had gone to a show, and she was still training and had riders then. And she was standing out in the middle of that coliseum, and I walked up to her, and I said, Ms. Gardner, I said, you know, I told her my name, and I said, I just want to show you something. I pointed to the seat, and I told her that story, and she said, I have, I said, would you stop by and get your picture made with me in front of my stalls? It would mean a lot to me. And she, when she came, she came right to the stalls when she was done with her lesson, and we talked, and she said, I can't even imagine having that kind of influence over somebody's life that I never met. That's amazing. Absolutely and, uh, an amazing story. And I just, you know, I hope that I, and I, and it's, it always stuck with me that I hope somewhere down the road that somebody comes up and says that to me. I'm you know, sure. That I, that I can do that. So I always think about that when I show and when I ride. Yeah. Because I really love doing it. You know, and we all go through different phases, I think, where pressures and clients and horses and mm-hmm. circumstances and finances and, you know, the whole thing of, am I good enough to do this? You know, I mean, I still say that. You know, I'm 61 years old and I'm still saying, am I good enough to do this? Well, if I'm <laughs> not, <laughs> I guess definitely get the star for stubborn and not giving up. But, you know, y'all, we all do that. Yeah. And so, you know, I just want, I just, you know, for many years, the longer I did it, the more I would keep it in my head. There's a kid out there like me, so I better ride. And I and I better look good doing it. My mom, she was very, very strong-minded and still is. And if you're going to do something, you don't do it in in a way that's not proper. And so always that instruction. I think I owe her a great deal for insisting I'm going to ride, I'm going to go ride, and I'm going to take lessons from this person. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to dress right. And I'm always going to be following attention to detail. And I think ultimately that's, you know, the success and failure of the horse industry. You have to have, you have to have attention to detail. That's what separates you. It's not, it's not really anything else. I think that attention to detail is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And you learn that here where I live now in Kentucky because the, the amount of money in the horse industry here and the farms here, there's so many. But what yeah. makes one more successful than the other is just exactly that and nothing else. Attention to detail. Sure, sure. That's extraordinary. What a great story. And I'm sure today you have influenced many. They just have not revealed themselves just yet. Going forward, um, um, before you were an independent trainer, with your own business, who did you work for in the industry outside of the Arabian world? Who influenced you the most over the years? Well, the the people that I've worked for, uh, probably everybody, most of the people that will listen to this will know Reese Smith, but he told me one time, he said, gosh, with your resume, you're ready for the Green Berets. I worked for Jim Fisher in South Carolina. And before him, for the summer job where I had ridden the Morgans and shown Morgans, was with a man named Jimmy Warden, who was the most amazing, wonderful man with a wonderful family. And he taught me so much. And that summer, I broke my first horse, How to Drive. And a lot of my passion for driving and the skill sets I have for driving came Mm -hmm. from Jimmy Warden. And uh, 
from there, uh, and when I left high school and uh, before I started college, I worked for Jim Fisher. And that was just a joy because there's no person I've ever known that had a personality like Jim. And I tell people this a lot. You know, all of Region 12, Mm -hmm. there are still so many people who are involved in this breed and done so much for this breed that really were influenced because they knew Jim. And they had some interest in the horses, I'm sure. But being with Jim made you want to never miss an event, never not be part of this, because he had that um, that magnetic personality. And he could go anywhere. He could be sitting in an afternoon in a barn aisle with a bunch of the grooms. And then by nighttime, be in a tux and go to dinner with a senator. And and this happened. Strong Thurman. U.S. Senator for South Carolina, and he came to visit the barn one afternoon, but before he got there, he was hanging with all of us, and we're cleaning stalls and aisleways and scrubbing down everything, and then that evening put on a tux and went to a dinner for for a U.S. Senator, and always comfortable. He was accepted everywhere and every, every level. It was just, he just had that incredible personality. I mean, he could go anywhere. Interesting. And so working for him was, you know, just made me want to do this even more. Anything Jim did, I wanted to do. I wrote a bull because Jim wrote a bull in the rodeo. <laughs> so when I was in college, you know, I'm going to be like Jim. I wrote a bull. Catahoula dog. He told me the best dog he ever had was a Catahoula. I've had three Catahoulas. So, you know, he was a, he was a hero and somebody I looked up to, and I loved him dearly. And then I went to college because he said I had to go to college and graduate. My grandparents said I had to go to college and graduate. And we don't even need to go with that. That's what my mother said. So I went to college, graduated with a degree in equine science Very and, good. in Louisiana. And from there, after graduation, I worked for a short while at Marquee Farms with one of my childhood mentors that was from Cincinnati, Ohio, Judy Burrell. She had moved to Arizona, and she got a job. She offered me a job to go out there, and I went to Arizona. And from there, I met um, Don and Richard, Don DeLompre and Richard Petty, who were working uh, for Mike Nichols, and they were NDL, Nichols DeLompre. And they were going to have a sale in February, and they were going to keep the horses and do the sale, uh, sale horses from the facility where I worked in Arizona, in Scottsdale. And... Mm-hmm. Before that all happened, they'd signed the contract and were coming, and we were negotiating, so we got to know each other. But then Mike bought the farm in Santa Barbara. So Nichols Salomfrey moved from Connecticut to Santa Barbara, and instead of um, them coming to Scottsdale and being in my barn, I went to visit in Thanksgiving and came back, packed my stuff, and they hired me to be the stallion manager. And so I moved to Santa Barbara, California, to take care of Barbary and Enos and Etter and Marek and Sapphire. And I can remember driving and going up and, I mean, driving in, but also in the mornings, walking up that driveway with those mountains in Lake Kachuma behind that stallion barn, thinking, how can this kid from Cincinnati, Ohio, grow up with all these dreams and they're coming true? It was like, it was really amazing. And that whole experience and the movie stars and the horses and the education and the and the passion and talent of Don and Richard, mm-hmm. but the the brilliance of Mike Nichols. I yeah. think of all the 
the blessings the horse business has brought to my life. Mm-hmm. Knowing somebody that was like Mike and had a mind like Mike and a success ratio like Mike and just that extraordinary human, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it has influenced me from that day forward. That, that is awesome. What an amazing... And from amazing. there, I went to work for Sheila, and I worked for Sheila and lived in Arroyo Grande and had Huck. I broke Huckleberry Bay to drive, showed Marigold, showed a pair of teeth, baby, and Bittersweet and Sweet Inspiration V, and had no idea, keepsake, had no idea how incredibly influential that. I mean, obviously we knew it was important, but sure. I don't even think Sheila knew how big this it would become. Interesting. And so that was a, you know, I mean, I, it, it wasn't planned. She made the offer, took it, was there, and then there was a syndicate member of Huckleberry Bay that wanted me to go to Texas, so I went to Texas. And, you know, I did my thing, and I had a lot of success, but I felt like, you know, I don't know, it, maybe it wasn't enough, maybe it was enough, and I ended up with a job offer from Colonial Wood from Paul and Dodie Wood and to work with my childhood friend Rick Moser, so I took it and made a lot of money and spent a lot of money Sure. <laughs> and uh, was there through the Colonial Wood era till really almost the point where uh, he sold and, and Josh came after us, but Rick and I were both gone by then. Sure. And um, during that time frame, I had some super nice horses to show, and Raymond and Dr. LaCroix had uh, moved to where the Grays were in Brenham, and they started LaCroix Limited down there, and we were at a horse show, and we were riding, and I was champion, and Raymond was reserved, and he met me on the top of the ramp there in Dallas, Fort Worth, at Fort Worth, and uh, offered me a job, so I took it, and uh, again, kind of the same type of thing as Mike Nichols, uh, working for Ray, and being around Gene some, not a lot, but he was there and he was there enough that I was around him enough to learn some things from Gene, but mostly Ray and all the people that worked there in and out, and then Dr. LaCroix. Oh. And that was kind of like a doctor and I, you know, I'd ask Ray who the horse was buying out of, ask my dad, you know. And <laughs> Dr. was not 100% keen on Ray hiring me because I was a woman. Interesting. I remember those days. After about the second month I was there, I don't think there was a week went by we didn't have in-depth conversations about pedigrees. Because Judy Burrell, as a child, when we were in Ohio, I was I showed for Judy, grew up riding with her and showing with her, and she was a pedigree guru. And she used to have all those big stud books, and you'd go through all the stud books and look this stuff up like you do in three seconds online now. Sure. And she taught me that and I remember things she said about bloodlines and and what characteristics and you know Galaster did this and you know I mean all of that and then for the from the Polish side of things obviously being around Mike but then to top it all off to spend that time with Doctor was great and Mrs. LaCroix and Kathy when she was in town and doing holidays with them it was um 
it was it was good times. It was a lot of learning, a lot of stress. I'm not going to say. Sure. I think in, it was in the best of times and the worst of times. And yeah. um, you know, with Ray, it was great. Um, and then it was not great. And then you know, we we went back and forth, and we made it through all that. And I really cherished that time and the horses that we had and the things that we were able to accomplish with some of those horses and doctor. And doctor, the first horseman's awards. He, I was nominated, and we were all going. And he asked me if uh, he could be my escort. So that's my horseman's award memory. Wow. That I went to the very first one with probably an escort that nobody else other than Mrs. Lacroix could ever say that. Wow. So that was that was uh, he was special, and that that was that was a special time. And you know, again, evolving, learning finding your way, where you belong, what you want to do, what your goals are. Sure. And so I spent some time independent contracting and doing some coaching and traveling around, and I just decided that Kentucky was where I was wanted to be, and I ended up here, so that's kind of the end of my uh, learning experience. And outside of the Arabian industry, there are two professionals that come to mind that greatly influence me today, you know, like when I'm when I'm riding and working and schooling today, yep. no question Don Harris. I leased a, a barn at Don at Harris Stables, and I was there nine years. So I worked every day with a legend, <laughs> and I learned so much about him and his family and what being a legend, the price you pay for being a legend, um, how incredibly into it he was, but also the loss, the, some of the things that I saw that I thought, I don't want to be that. You know, I don't want that to be me when I'm that age. Sure. And um, not that not there's anything wrong. I mean, it's a fantastic human, still is, and he's cherished within his industry, and he's revered. I mean, he's he's the Elvis of, you know, the saddle world. Absolutely. I mean, even when it's the film on the Jumbotron at the World Championships and it's COVID and it's not even full of people, the loudest cheer the entire horse show is when Don goes by on that screen with Imperator. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a message. But I also know how hard it was for him to lose if he didn't win a class. Sure. And I also know what he gave up and what his family gave up. For him to be that man and that person. And his wife, they were married on my birthday. Like, literally, the day I was born. That was their their wedding day. So, my 40th birthday and their 40th wedding anniversary, we had a big party at Harris Stables. And Roz had a conversation with me, and she said the first 40 years were all for him. He, she said, but the next part... The next 40 years, whatever's, whatever I get of those years, is going to be for me. And they had decided that Don was going to retire and they were going to go to Florida. And she had a heart attack and died Monday night of Louisville at the World Championships. I remember that. So that never happened. And, yeah. you know, when, you're, when you see that and you're around that and, and the pain that caused and the loss that caused in the family, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, if you don't, you have to learn the lesson from that and how that can affect you and what you're going to decide to do, you know, down the road. And 
So there was all of that as well as the showing and going to shows with them and helping them and getting Don in the ring and helping Stan when Don was somewhere else showing and that was his son and they were in business together there. And so I, I mean, I was around them every day. I mean, they were like family. So that was very cool. And the other professional outside the Arabian industry, um, and there's many other saddle horse people I could go on for hours, but I will sure. just mention Don because I was there with him. Yeah. But in the uh, um, four-horse hunter-jumper world, I uh, found myself needing instruction and help so that I could be successful at that and also so I could be safe because I had all these horses going over fences. And I'm like, my God, I did that when I was 13 for a while in the wintertime just because we lived close to a hunter stable and I had a best friend that rode hunters. But that was about where it stopped, you know, and I was over 50 and I'm like, I've got to learn. So I rode with people. I took lessons from people. Stephanie Desiderio helped me some and Ricky and Diane Grodd out at Almara. And then I met Otis Brown. And everybody in the hunter-jumper world knows him as Brownie. Oh, yeah. And his partner, Carrie Dahmer, they educated me and it was an it was really good, and I was able to lose use everything that I learned back into all the other disciplines that I do. And we trained, and I trained and rode with them. And Brownie, I went down and I rode in the in the winter time in Florida with him. I rode here in his place uh, in Lexington. He came to my place a lot. I mean, we spent a, a good two solid years of riding taking lessons, schooling horses over fences, and... Um, wow, what an amazing journey, Mark. I got to be... I got good enough at it that I won 21 classes over fences straight. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> so of all the things I've ever done with a horse, that one will probably always be my favorite memory. Interesting. The, the 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 exactness and the correctness and the softness and the demeanor that you have to create to be successful at that is just mind-blowing. Wow. Impressive. Mind-blowing. And it's a big contradiction from the shaking bags and chains on the feet and tail sets and fake tails and, you know, braids in the mane that are long instead of short and they have ribbons. Sure. And, the, you know, fire extinguishes baby powder all of that stuff to get ears and pictures and photographs, and then you go to the the absolute other end of the pendulum where it's quiet and it has to be soft and it has to be exact and it has to be perfect or the jumps come down. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know? So, Martha, at saying all of that, it, it kind of leads me to the next question of where do you see yourself in the future? Do you plan to retire? If so, what will you do? You know, I I I am. I, I do plan, um, and I don't think that I'll ever not ride or I'll ever not have an Arabian that I show. And I, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I mean, I think some people, when they decide to retire, they have to get completely away from it because they can't do it any other way. And I might be one of those people, but I don't think so because I still want to judge shows and be around my twins and my family that I love and that kind of thing. Yes. And... uh but what I'm going to do as a retiree is thoroughbreds. Oh. And to raise thoroughbreds and uh, do what's called pin hooking, where you buy young thoroughbreds as weanlings and develop them and sell them as yearlings. 
and we're going to raise some. I mean, we're already raising thoroughbreds, and we're already, uh, we're pin hooking one while I'm at nationals, which is about to. <laughs> it's very nerve wracking knowing I've got to leave these yearlings, and they're they're not going to the sale till a week after I leave. So. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I so, bet uh, my children, and uh, so yeah, that's that. That's my plan. So we're doing enough of it now to kind of learn where we're at and where we need to be and how we want to set it up and making the connections. So. Um, my husband Dan and I have been. Oh, we we bred our first. Well, my first mare I had when we got married, and we bred her to a Derby winner named Thunder Gulch. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I said we're going to get a filly and keep her as a broodmare and brace her till she breaks her maiden, and then we'll use her to replace her mother. And we had a filly. She broke her maiden. Actually, re-smithed did all the basic work and got her started at the races and educated her and she was in a photo finish once and well we were all excited and then we brought her back to Kentucky and a young trainer here you know where there's so much more opportunity here because we can go to so many different tracks and sure she won she broke her maiden she was second three times she was third four times and then we retired her and bred her and we have a colt out of her that's up in the front field growing up and we're he's he'll be sold in a couple months um, that is right so exciting. Studio. So that's, so yeah, that's what, um, Dan loves that, and he enjoys it, and he has friends that have their friends. Yeah. And so he follows that, and he watches races, and I'll come in, and I'm hearing all this, I'm thinking, wow, he watches more races than I do. <laughs> and not that he, I mean, he, he you know, he we have friends, and, and he's met, you know, everybody through the show, and he's been to a lot of shows, and he likes a lot of the people, but he gets the racing. He's really got a passion for the racing, and it's here. And I, sure. it's something we do together, and we both enjoy it. So, that's yeah, wonderful. that's what Martha's going to do when she retires. That is wonderful. Although I can't even see it. I don't even see it as a possibility. But it's a question. It's hard. You know, I mean, everybody's like, no, I'll never retire. I'll die in the saddle and all that. But, yeah. you know, a little bit going back to watching and learning from sure. my heroes. Yep. And, you know, I I kept telling my husband that one day I would know, one day I would know. Sure. And, I, you know, I can't tell you when, but it's definitely on the – I think about it, you know, it's on the horizon because I think, well, when I retire, I'm not going to have to miss this. And when I retire, I'm not going to miss this beautiful fall weather worrying about nationals, you know. Sure. And um, so, you know, I think that that's – and I'll know, you know, when it's time, I'll know. But right now, it's not time. <laughs> sure. So what what advice would you give anyone or a young individual who's thinking about a career as a horse trainer? Let's see. Number one, learn from the very best that you can. Riding skills, management skills, business skills. Yes. And to never feel that you are full when that knowledge, you know, like a tank of gas, never think that that got past halfway because the day you think it's past halfway, you're missing something. You know, you got to keep learning because it changes. There's more knowledge out there and just keep, keep digging for it, looking for it. You know, and it's right there. You know, you can reach out and touch it, but you've got to be open-minded for it 
and you've got to be hungry for that knowledge. Not the ribbon, not the fame, not the glory. And as Jim Fisher told me many, many years ago when I was at a horse show, and I thought I didn't get up early enough because I still had four stalls to clean when he walked in the barn, and I was so scared, and I apologized. And he looked and he said, for what? And I should be apologizing to you. I was late, and I should have been here and helped you have all this done. And I said, yeah, but you're Jim Fisher. <laughs> you can't be doing this. And he said, let me tell you something, honey. The day you're too good to pick that stall, rake up, and clean a stall is the day you need to leave the business. He said, because you can learn more about that horse cleaning his stall than you can anywhere else. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's, that is great advice, Martha. Great and advice. He, he was just, and then the rest of the show, because it was the first time I'd had to go to a show alone with him. Mm-hmm. And we had 16 horses. Can you believe that? I mean, now, with what we do now, there's no way you could do that with one person. But no, back in those no. days, we didn't do as much as we do here now. Sure. Sure. And that's what we did. We were in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Halsey Merch was at that horse show. <laughs> I got to know Halsey really well at that horse show. He was stalled right across from us. Well, well, Martha, I, I kind of want to wrap things up. And I, I'm sure any one of our listeners that may have more questions or more information that you wish to share, what is an email that they can contact you at? Martha at RatnerBloodstock.com. Very good. And we at Arabian Horses would love to hear from our listeners as well. And our email is hello at WeLoveArabianHorses.com. Martha, I can't thank you enough at this busy time of year with everybody scrambling to get to Tulsa and all the work that is involved to take the time and, and, and talk to me tonight. I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the offer to do this, and hopefully someday out there there's somebody that says, I listened to that one night and decided I wanted to be in the Arabian horse business. I wouldn't be surprised. Martha, I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dwayne.